Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Novel. A listener note. This episode contains violence and content that some listeners might find distressing. Previously on Deliver Us from Herbal. Heber, the mantle fell on him and he did not sign up for it. Everybody was a crazy little freaking Spartan extremist terrorist not knowing anything else in the world. Shooting the guns is not the traumatic part. The traumatic part is that you're actually gonna be faced with a major war and you might have to shoot people. So you can't have any kind of feelings. You can't have any soft feelings. I just remember the gun pointing at me, seeing the gun. And he said, give me your money. And I emptied my drawer and put all the money in there, including my dye pack, which I, he told me not to do. Eber felt he had screwed up so bad when he had the authority. He gave the authority to the next brother in line, Mo, also called Aaron. He was the one that was like the moral compass for us, studying hard and praying and making sure we were well versed in our own doctrine. This is God's law. We have to do it. Otherwise, the whole world will go to hell like the Armageddon. Satan will win in the end if we don't do this. We're in Oak Harbor, Washington, about 90 miles north of Seattle on an island called Whidbey Island. We're specifically at a location called Penn Cove, 
we have this wonderful water view. It's just a beautiful These days, Steve Otecki lives way out in Washington State. On clear days, you can see the Olympic Mountains over there. You can see Camino Island over there. With a glass of wine on the deck here, you watch the sunset just it can be bright red. It's, it's a beautiful time. Looking around his home on the water's edge, I see his deck, a picture window where you can spot orcas in the bay, sometimes a gray whale. Bald-headed eagles visit too, feeding on clams. And on the walls of his home, old family snapshots and mementos from his life. <laughs> uh, what do I have here? Oh, there's me. I think I'm five years old. The atmosphere here feels peaceful, serene. That is, until he shows me a picture from his past life, back in the 1980s. This is my jail mugshot to establish my credentials as an unsavory character. Yeah, that, that's me. Steve in prison overalls. But he wasn't really a convict. He was an undercover cop. In case you run into somebody. Other investigators would take this out and show this to some people we were trying to target and say, have you seen this guy? Okay, I've got to level with you. It's quite hard to imagine any amount of undercover shapeshifting could turn Steve into a convincing, unsavory character. No offense to Steve, but his manner is, well, I don't know, kind of cuddly. In fact, it's like his home. Warm, welcoming. Occasionally, you spot a little knowing twinkle in his eye, like the light catching on the Pencove water. I think it was his demeanor, rather than his disguises, that made Steve so good at his job. People opened up to him, wanted to talk, like they just couldn't help themselves. Which was a real asset in his role working investigations for the Organized Crime Bureau in Utah. And so you think, oh, Utah, gee, there can't be much organized crime in Utah. Uh, but. The polygamists meet the definition of organized crime. What Steve is talking about here is that underground network of polygamous communities that I've mentioned in previous episodes. The ones that had shot up like weeds around the same time Ervil LeBaron was also building his cult. They were the groups Ervil coveted and wanted to consume, and who were frankly much more successful at quietly going about their work. I've spent much of my career reporting on these Mormon fundamentalist communities. They're groups with their own hierarchies, rules, and rituals, operating in the shadows. And by the 80s, some of these groups weren't just engaging in the crime of polygamy. Some were committing violent crimes. Part of Steve's job as a cop was to keep tabs on the various polygamous sects in Utah. He's not a Mormon himself, but it didn't seem to matter. People often seemed to want to talk to Steve despite themselves. It was working this job in 1985 that Steve got a call from his bosses, asking him to visit a polygamist, yet another self-styled prophet. There were some threats made against Dan Jordan, and so I went out to his home to interview him. Dan Jordan, once Ervil LeBaron's right-hand man, the man who had killed Joel LeBaron at Ervil's orders and started off the whole spiral of the cult. In his career investigating Mormon polygamists, Steve had heard all about the infamous and now deceased Ervil LeBaron. 
From the perspective of most law enforcement at this point in the mid-80s, his cult had been shut down. Ervil was already becoming a kind of historical curiosity. And so here was an opportunity to go sort of interview one of the lieutenants of Earl LeBaron and just see what the setup was. Daniel Ben Jordan was a short and stout man with a fleshy face, receding hairline, dark, dead eyes. He was 56 in 85, but he was the kind of man that had always looked kind of middle-aged. Even in his early 20s, when he first arrived in Colonial Baron as one of those French but not actually French missionaries, the new blood whose appearance would energize the town. Back then, I've heard he was always at Ervil's side. But by the time Ervil was arrested in 1979, though their families were bound by marriages, Dan had started to question if Ervil really did carry the mantle of the one mighty and strong. Once Ervil was safely locked up, that is. And when Ervil was convicted, their schism had grown into a full-blown split. Dan incorporated his own church. To Ervil, he'd become a son of perdition. His name entered into the book of the New Covenant's hit list. Dan has been described to me as coming across as a joyless man. Someone who apart from Ervil back in the day, had few friends, a loner. But when Steve arrived to meet him that day in 85, it wasn't just Dan's awkward demeanor that stood out. On the surface, everything seemed just like the polygamous communities Steve had spent his career visiting. But the atmosphere felt off. I go into the um, Jordan home and there are probably about five or six young ladies there, which we didn't do introductions, but I'm assuming that there were his various wives. There were a number of children there also, and it's just a little strange. I'd been to other families, and I mean, there might be kids in another room playing or something like that and laughing, and um, I just sat down with Dan Jordan and interviewed him, and nobody's laughing, nobody's playing. Uh, it's just kind of a strange setup. I mean, you go into home and there's 10 or 15 children there. You'd expect to hear some laughter, maybe see some toys, but no, none of that was there. And obviously, everyone's been coached to not talk to me. Steve quickly realized that getting good information out of Dan was going to be difficult. But he assumed the death threats Dan had been getting were something to do with his history with Ervil. I knew about his background. And then I'm in there and I, it's like I'm dealing with a con man. I mean, I'm asking questions and his answers are carefully weighed and, and he's presenting the attitude of, oh, there's no problem. This is just sort of normal setup. He's in control. And so nobody's going to bump him off. Like everyone else in Ervil's cult, Dan Jordan never talked to cops. Not about anything he thought might be useful to them anyway. Four years had passed since Ervil's death. Maybe he didn't feel like his name appearing in the Book of the New Covenant put him at risk anymore. My takeaway was I didn't feel like there was a threat and he didn't really seem worried. So Dan wasn't worried. Steve wasn't worried. Dust your hands off and move on. I felt like I'd made some connections, passed out my name, and part of the idea is that things go bad later on, at least know somebody he could call. 
Um, but, I mean, he never called. You have to say, in hindsight, both Steve and Dan got it wrong that day. Because the next call Steve would get about Dan Jordan was to tell him he'd been shot to death. From the teams at Novel and iHeartRadio, this is Deliver Us from Ervil, Episode 10. The Book of Daniel. For a man who had spent decades on the run, Bennett, Colorado seemed like a nice, quiet place to settle down. Situated in eastern Colorado, it's about 30 miles from Denver, with the range of the Rocky Mountains jutting up into the sky if you look west. To the east, the prairies and flatlands of the American heartland. Dan Jordan moved there after Ervil's death in 1981 and set up another one of his appliance repair shops, which operated uneventfully for years. Dan might have thought he could put the whole LeBaron saga behind him, well, maybe not completely behind him. Because after Ervil's death, he had given shelter to Anna Mae Marston, Ervil's fourth wife, and so he had a few of Ervil LeBaron's children living within his polygamist clan. And for the kingdom of God back in Mexico, this was a festering wound. Their siblings living with someone marked for death by the book of the New Covenant. One of our lifelong dreams was to get our siblings who were under Dan's spell, that's the way we saw it, get our siblings out of there. Gabriella LeBaron and the children and teens of the KOG deeply missed their siblings. I dreamed of them all the time, that we would be reunited with them. So they were like our pride and joy and our love, and we were ready to die for them, and we were going to do whatever it took to bring them back, to rescue them from hell. And to have them come and join us, a much better hell. In 87, Gabriella was 11 years old. And together with her brothers and sisters, she had been scheming. We were going to go and infiltrate and somehow convince them to leave and come back with us. So basically extricate them. This was early in 87. But over the coming months, the KOG's plan to be permanently reunited with their LeBaron siblings evolved into something darker albeit with the same ultimate aim. It was actually Cynthia's idea, and she told Heber. And Heber, was, since it was his job to take everybody out, and he had agreed to it, he had to take advantage of the opportunity he had. It was a summer's morning in August of 87 that Dan Jordan opened his front door to find seven of Ervil LeBaron's children staring back at him. The group included LeBaron teens carrying infants in their arms, Cynthia and the leader of the KOG, Aaron. Heber, Patricia, and Gabriela stayed behind in Mexico. I really wanted to go. I wanted to be a part of the action so bad, and I wasn't allowed. Arriving on the Jordan's doorstep, Aaron told Dan a heartbreaking story. It went something like this. For several years, they'd been living down in Mexico at the La Jolla Ranch. First under Arthur, until he was killed. Now, he told Dan, Heber was in charge. And they'd been surviving a sort of hellscape 
with gun battles and not enough to eat. If that wasn't bad enough, Heber only thought of himself. He'd abandoned them on the ranch, and they were starving. They knew Dan Jordan lived in Colorado and didn't know where else to go. Aaron offered a deal. In exchange for food and shelter, they'd work for Dan in his appliance repair sweatshop. Dan Jordan said, nah, this is, nah, it's not going to work. These kids are coming up to do something. I know how this all works. This is David Schwendeman. He's a former federal prosecutor. Jordan killed a couple of people on Herbal's direction. And in fact, he killed Herbal's brother. And he said to his wife, he said, look, this is not going to work. I know how this works. Uh, It's not going to be good for me. But Dan's wife persuaded him to take in the LeBaron orphans. After all, she said, they'd escaped the clutches of Ervil's cult and were now leading peaceful lives. What kind of leader would he be if he didn't offer them a safe haven? And besides, she reminded him, this was some free sweatshop labor for his appliance business. And that swung it. Because now he's got more hands to do more work, to bring in more revenue. That's fine with him because he's all about the money. He agreed to take the kids in. Although from this point onward, he started carrying a loaded 9mm pistol in a shoulder holster. Just to be safe. Only took it off to bathe or visit the bathroom. And despite any suspicions, August, then September, and the Jordan family passed uneventfully. The new recruits kept their heads down. They're working in the family appliance business to bring in more revenue. They get along really well. Everything's going fine. Until that autumn, when the whole Jordan clan started getting ready for a big annual family trip. Each year, Dan closed up his repair shop for a few weeks to go deer hunting with the family over in Utah. Dan didn't really want to take the new LeBaron teens with them, but he didn't trust them enough to leave them behind either. So he decided to take some of them along. They left on October 15, 1987, in a caravan carrying a half dozen of Dan's wives, 15 of their children, and the four oldest of the seven LeBaron kids. They drove about eight hours to the Manti LaSalle National Forest in central Utah. Dan picked a campsite not too far from a dirt road. It was peaceful. Surrounded by steep hillsides on three sides, they gave the campsite the feel of a sort of natural amphitheater. They set up. The hunt hasn't really started yet. It's to start the next day. This is on October the 16th. That Friday, the sound of gunshots were echoing throughout the forest as hunters prepared for the opening of hunting season. The Jordans were practicing firing their guns too. At about 2 p.m., Dan left the family campsite and headed for an area they designated as the communal bathroom. It was partially shielded from view by trees. Dan goes off to do his business drops his drawers, is in the process, and two people walk up and shoots him in the head and in the chest with a nine millimeter weapon. Two shots echo through the forest. 
the people at the campsite just hear it boom, boom, and they don't think anything of it because it's hunting season and they figure it's just somebody's discharged a weapon. But as time passes, where's Dan? Somebody goes out when Dan doesn't come back and discovers Dan's body with a bullet hole in the head and a bullet hole in the chest. This was clearly no hunting accident. When the police arrive, they have a mystery on their hands. Someone had murdered Dan. But who? Turns out the killer wasn't anyone in Dan's hunting party. In fact, the culprits didn't come from inside the camp at all. Eyes had been watching Dan the whole time. Predators stalking their prey, waiting for the perfect moment to pounce. That's coming up after the break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Two days after the killing of Dan Jordan, a call came in to the state police. It reached the desk of Steve Votecki. My partner and I go down there to Manti. We go to the crime scene that's out in the forest. Steve, that gentle investigator for the Organized Crime Bureau in Utah, who had that strange interview with Dan in 85, 
Now, two years later, he gazed out his squad car window as his partner drove him to the crime scene. You drive there and it's a nice drive and then you leave the paved road and you drive, it seemed like about five miles on a turn of a dirt road. And then we're in this beautiful camping spot. Votecki was there to investigate a murder. But in what I've come to learn is his style, he couldn't help but appreciate how picturesque the landscape was, with the leaves turning red and bright yellow, the autumn sun casting a golden light across the mountain. I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, yeah, it's a nice place to camp. And there was no one there when we got there, so we're just looking at this beautiful spot and walking around. There's a little river nearby, and, and it's really quite pleasant. We sort of mapped out where we thought a shooter might have hidden. It's sort of an open campground, and there was a clump of trees nearby, and, and that we sort of searched that area very carefully to see what was there. Steve's initial investigation at the crime scene came up with zilch. Nothing to imply the killing was an inside job from anyone at the camp. And since everyone had been firing guns to practice for the hunting trip the next day, they all had gun residue on their hands. Everyone who had talked to the cops seemed to have an alibi. Steve was stumped, but he knew the LeBaron's history felt like there was more to this case, that solving it was going to require more resources than just the local county sheriff's office. So Steve decided to use the one thing from the crime scene that had made an impression on him, the beautiful location. It occurred in a national forest, and then since any possible shooters were out of state, it becomes obvious that this is an interstate deal, and it's interstate, they have the resources to do this. If you're in federal custody, they can take you anywhere in the United States. And so it proves very useful. The crime occurred on federal land. This enabled the investigation to operate across the U.S. with additional resources, like experienced prosecutors who knew how to get results in complex cases. That's how David Schwendemann got involved. They get a hold of the U.S. Attorney's Office and they just said, hey, Dave, are you guys interested in this? It's going to require more than just our investigative resources to get this done. So how about it? Can the FBI help out? Can you get involved? So I got involved and we began to put our files together, our case together, and that all started to come together. Then the investigation got a crucial new team member. Steve knew Dick Forbes. Now, Dick was a specialist of LeBaron history. So when Votecki recognized the names, he immediately got a hold of Dick. Dick Forbes, you'll remember from earlier episodes, had played a key role in the hunt and apprehension of Herbal LeBaron. And because no one knew more about the inner workings of the cult than Dick, there was no one who saw them as a bigger threat. But what's more, Dick knew about the Book of the New Covenant. A brother of Herbal LeBaron in Utah had got a hold of a copy and alerted Dick after reading its distressing contents on vengeance and violent retribution. So now Dick Forbes started to tell Steve Otecki and David Schwendemann just what they were up against. This isn't just a random shooting. This is probably something to do with the family. You need to interview all these people. We'll get their photographs. We'll do whatever we need to do. We'll do the investigation. This needs to be done very thoroughly. 
Dick Forbes, Steve Votecki, and David Schwendeman would now become the foundation of a crack team, formed not just to solve this cult's murders, but to try and stop their future crimes. Working in unison with the FBI, they were about to give a fresh focus on the next generation of Herbal's cult, which Dick had learned from his LeBaron sources were now calling themselves the Kingdom of God, the KOG. As this investigative team was coming together, the Jordan family and the LeBaron teenagers who had joined them on the hunting trip had all left Utah. It was October 18, 1987. The whole Jordan family, the entourage, was allowed to go back to Colorado, and Dan's body was released, and they had the funeral in Colorado. But no sooner was Dan Jordan in the ground than the KOG tried to seize control of his clan. After the funeral, that's where this internal fight kind of starts. With Dan Jordan dead, Aaron, the leader of the KOG, declares to the Jordan family that he is now their leader. He reveals himself as the one mighty and strong and tells them they had better fall in line. And the Jordan family eventually call the cops, file a formal complaint against Aaron. This is all the night of Dan Jordan's funeral. With Aaron trying to assert his authority as a new patriarch over everybody, he was reported for domestic abuse by the family members to authorities in Denver. That's when Aaron's arrested. With Aaron behind bars, the local cops scoop up the other KOG members who had been staying with the Jordans. And they alert David Schwendeman. And we then got involved and brought the kids back to Utah on material witness warrants. With these KOG kids on material witness warrants, the federal law enforcement team had access to talk to them. Steve Votecki started to ask them about the day of Dan's killing to see if his team could start to piece together the sequence of events right up to the murder. And I'm trying to come up with a diagram of, of where all these people were. And Dan's shot near where the trailers were camped, where the campground is. And some people were in the trailer, they didn't hear anything. And other people were outside, like Cynthia and Aaron, up on the road. Uh, nobody hears anything suspicious, sees anything suspicious. Steve starts to get the sense that these children are not being straight with them. It's obvious that maybe some statements had been rehearsed, and, and I'm writing this all down, you know, so that it can be checked later on in that. And I'm just thinking, well, obviously, somebody's not telling the truth. I just can't imagine that nobody heard any shooting. And it's always amazing that everybody seemed to be somewhere else, and nobody knows what happened whatsoever. Getting to the bottom of lies was kind of Steve Votecki's forte. Having spent years undercover, years working in Utah's Organized Crime Investigations Unit, he was experienced with uncooperative witnesses, with deception. Yet, when it came to lying, he noticed that these LeBaron kids were good. They were pretty consistent in their stories. No one seemed phased that a murder had occurred. And my afterthought on that is, I mean, murder was sort of a, of a natural thing with these folks. And I, I suppose teenagers lie, but not quite so much about murder. 
Having made little headway from their initial interviews with the LeBaron kids, the investigative team moved on to Aaron. That tall, studious leader of the KOG, sometimes called Mo. He was in police custody following the altercation with Dan Jordan's family members after the funeral. He talks to me, but again, he just lies to me the whole time. And my main thing is, okay, I know he's up to something, but I don't know what it is, and we couldn't find anything to time to any of the murders. And we have to release him because we don't have anything to hold him on. Reluctantly, the investigative team had to move on from their questioning of all the kids. The children were released into foster homes across the Salt Lake area. But Aaron and Cynthia, the older teens, they were free to go wherever they pleased. Given the circumstances, none of the kids could have pulled the trigger. They were all at the campsite, so there was nobody that was traveling with them that had done anything as far as anybody could tell. With the LeBaron kids now in foster homes and still not talking, and Aaron and Cynthia in the wind, by November of 87, the investigative team were making slow progress solving the Dan Jordan murder. In Dan Jordan, there wasn't a whole lot of physical evidence. There was a body. There were rounds in the body. It was clearly cause of death was gunshot. Manner of death was homicide. So you cause manner of death. You got a whole bunch of circumstance and context, but who pulled the trigger? No one was telling us that. Prosecutor David Schwendemann knew that without decent physical evidence, cops like Steve Otecki would somehow need to get information from inside the cult. But Steve was beginning to doubt his ability to do that. We're kind of hoping that maybe somebody's going to want to talk to us. And that doesn't hold true. I mean, here's a murder, and uh, just can't come up with anything. It's very frustrating. My gut's telling me, you know, the investigation's going nowhere. We don't have any evidence. Everybody's lying to us. It's just not going anywhere. Then, two months later, a Sunday night, January 17th, 1988, David Schwendemann's phone rings. I got a call from the marshals that said, hey, they're gone. One of the LeBaron children, Stephanie, Gabriella's sister, had slipped away from her foster family. He said they haven't seen Stephanie today. And she was in the house yesterday, and they thought she was asleep in the house. And they went in to check. She's not there. So the marshals started to call around to all the other places that had the kids. They were gone. All the LeBaron children disappeared. How did they arrange their escape? I mean, are they uh, calling each other yes. up? or? Yep, you got it. They phoned each other constantly, kept themselves apprised of what was going on in the families. Stephanie was told to round the kids up to arrange for the kids to meet. And there was no, probably should have been, but there were no real restrictions on the kids getting together. So she got the kids together and Patricia and Heber were there and they loaded them up in the vehicle, took them back to Mexico. And nobody saw them after that. The KOG kids had all escaped back to Mexico to meet up with the others. Investigators wouldn't learn who killed Dan Jordan for years. And by the time they did, it would be too late. That's coming up after the break. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Around the same time as KOG members were returning from America to meet up with Gabriella LeBaron and her brothers and sisters, the cult were on the move. The adults were like, suddenly there was this emergency. We got to go. We got to get out of here. They were leaving their La Jolla camp and traveling about 370 miles south, further away from the border, deeper into cartel-controlled Sonora. Their destination was a town called Navajo, at this point, Gabriella was 12 years old. It's a small town, a typical little Mexico town that has a little square, one tiny little store to go and buy like your gums or your Coke or whatever, and a few houses and a few streets. It had an elementary school, you know, just maybe 50 homes, 100. There's a creek nearby so we could walk to the creek or walk to the mountains, and everything was in walking distance. And then outside of this little town was mountains and in all directions. For the Colt, this new home was known as BFA. Do you guys know what that stood for? Never. <laughs> Never. BFA stood for But Fuck Africa, an acronym used by isolated American kids to mean the middle of nowhere. Although Heber, pulled out of school early, had got this acronym wrong. It's usually referred to as BFE, 
the E standing for Egypt. Heber, being in the cold, didn't know the difference, you know, Egypt or Africa. He's like, it was out in the freaking boonies. So he's like, out in freaking BFA. And it was just called BFA since there and forever. Africa, Egypt, for the nomadic, educationally deprived kids of the KOG, starved of normal childhoods, aspirations, or any of the regular possibilities for adult lives, these weren't just far-off exotic destinations. They were as tangible as, say, living on the moon. Cult members only had two possible future destinations. Outer darkness, that far-off layer of hell, or life in the violent, oppressive kingdom of God, the gateway to the highest levels of heaven. But for now, in the present, as 1987 turned into 1988, the thing that mattered about BFA wasn't its name. It was its location, off the grid. Away from the growing team of law enforcement that were now on their trail. Going to BFA was a place that nobody would ever know you know, where we went. It was definitely a secret place. And the only person who knew where we went was the owner of the house. And he was deep in the mafia, so he wasn't going to talk to the police. (laughs) According to Gabriella, everyone in Navajo seemed to have marijuana plantations. She remembers that if you lived there, you were an outlaw. The children of the kingdom of God fit in perfectly. Gabriella loved it. I used to race horses. I would ride it just with the rope around its nose. And I would race with the kids, the other kids in the street, and we'd go down this one straight street that went through the little town. And I always won, like way far ahead of everybody else. I grew up with boys, and I outdid them on everything, any kind of game, any kind of fight, any kind of racing, any kind of anything. And um, I didn't have this element of fear. It was kind of busted in me. So I just like a Tasmanian devil. I just, nothing to hold back. Heber had kept up with the car-stealing operation and the marijuana smuggling. We were making a lot of money for a period. Like, selling cars was really lucrative for a while there. I remember seeing big, giant wads of cash. And then we would go to Navajo to do our shopping and buy boxes of delicious, glorious food. Like, mangoes was my favorite thing in the world. Oh, my God. We'd buy big crates of mangoes and tortillas, with hot tortillas with butter on them. It was like, oh, it was so delicious. So did this kind of feel like a time of plenty then where suddenly you've got all this money and you're eating really good? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really, and we had fancy trucks all the time. And we'd go drive around in the mud and big giant Broncos. But this wasn't a period of healing for Gabriella. On the outside, she might've been some fearless Tasmanian devil who would beat boys in horse races and pack weed in hidden compartments. But inside? Everything was shut, like, in the basement. Any kind of suffering, any kind of feelings, any kind of anything was in the basement and sealed. I didn't feel anything for a long time. That's one of the reasons why I couldn't feel fear. I couldn't feel anything. Did that mean you also didn't feel happiness? I felt excitement. I could feel excitement. But this sense of, like, content, safety, happiness where things are going okay, I had no concept of that whatsoever. The group consciousness was 
we were required to do certain things. So sure, I could be excited about adventure, but we always had to study. There was this underlying, you're here to do God's will. End of story. God's will. Learn from Ervil LeBaron's Book of the New Covenant and its call for vengeance on all his enemies. Which meant down in deepest Sonora, with Dan Jordan disposed of. The plannings were happening, and they were happening when we were in BFA. Further adventures back across the border in the U.S. As a kid, you sit there and you be quiet. On their knees together, the children of Ervil LeBaron would face each other, heads bowed. We would pray and pray for hours, all of us together in a circle. We would kneel, we'd put our hands behind our backs, and different people would pray, and we had this thing we called a solemn assembly, where each person in that circle would say their prayer. And nobody could cut them short if they were long-winded. If there were 20 long-winded people, then we would be there for hours. And you just had to suck it up. When you guys would do those prayers, I'm just trying to imagine what would the prayers be like. They would be specifically about the killings, yes. And they would say these long-winded prayers that never freaking ended. In the spring of 1988, the plan the KOG were praying for was their most audacious killing yet. A chilling, coordinated attack. An evolution of sorts. In the sophistication and scale of brutality. Not a one-off like Joel O'Baron, or a random series of executions like the massacre at Los Molinos, with more targets than their semi-aborted attempt at the double Rulin Allred and Verlin LeBaron assassination. This next plan was something much grander. I was allowed in on one of the meetings and they were trying to decide location and when and where. I just know the feeling of the meeting. It was all like, of course, very ominous. And they were deciding which kids would go to the United States. And I wanted to go so bad. And they wouldn't let me. I was a girl. So I thought it was unfair. I trusted myself. And they didn't trust me. And I didn't like that at all. A hit squad was being assembled. Some of their names you've already heard. Cynthia, the diva, Heber, the failed leader, Aaron, studious and tall, and their sister Patricia, the cool one, and a kid called Richard LeBaron. All of them chosen to carry out the murders that would change everything and wake the prosecutors and cops from their slumbering investigation into the cult. You know, I just keep thinking who would do something like that? And I, I never could could believe that somebody would actually target a little girl like that. That's coming up in episode 11 of Deliver Us from Ervil. Deliver Us from Ervil is hosted by me, Jesse Hyde, and written and reported by me, Leona Hamid, and David Waters. Production from Leona Hamid and David Waters, 
Sean Glynn and Max O'Brien are executive producers. Lena Chang and Megan Oyinka are researchers. Mariana Gongora is our field producer. Fact-checking by Danya Suleiman and Sona Avakian. Production management from Cherie Houston, Frankie Taylor, and Charlotte Wolf. Austin Mitchell is our creative director of production. Michael e. Rao is our managing editor. Gavin Haynes is our head of development. Willard Foxton is our creative director of development. Sound design, mixing, and scoring by Nicholas Alexander and Daniel Kempson. Music supervision by Nicholas Alexander and David Waters. Our music is composed by Julian Lynch. Special thanks to Scott Anderson, Scott Carrier, Del Van Atta, Pippa Smith, Saskia Edwards, Matt O'Mara, Katrina Norvell, and Beth Ann Macaluso. Oren Rosenbaum, Shelby Shankman, and all the team at UTA. For more from Novel, visit novel.audio. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home financing provided by victory mortgage llc nmls 461249 equal housing lender live nation presents concert week now through may 14th get 25 dollars tickets to over 5,000 shows that's up to 75 percent off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 savage alanis morissette cage the elephant celeste barber dirk spentley fade hootie and the blowfish janet jackson kids bop kids megan trainer bissell puma sarah mclaughlin Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.